Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, today I know that you're grateful that you're in church for a number of reasons, but I'm just telling you, you're going to be glad that you came to church. As someone said in the hallway, I'm so glad uh, that, uh, that Paul spoke this morning. We finally had a great message on a Sunday morning, you know, so uh, that just tells you today we are in for a treat. Our church was introduced to Paul Herkman last November. He came here for our Miracle Offering Sunday. He's the executive director of a ministry called Venture. Venture. I don't know why I pronounced that weird. Venture. <laughs> and, uh, and, and basically, they are going into the least reached areas of the world to the most uns, uh, unserved people in the world to let the light of Jesus shine. They're going into the most difficult, the most dangerous, the places that, that nobody else wants to go in, and they're partnering with other people, uh, other partners, to push back the forces of darkness and to bring the light of Jesus. Last November when he was here, he had committed to us to speak, and he, call, he told me that Saturday night, he said, yes, just so you know, I was invited by the Packers to do their team chapel, and I turned down speaking to the Packers to come to Waverly, Iowa and preach to our church. That's the kind of guy that he is, and he did such a phenomenal job, challenged our church and helped us with the Miracle Offering Sunday, and today he's back to uh, preach a powerful message to us, update us on how our uh, generosity through Kingdom Builders has impacted lives literally around the world. And so we're gonna show a video here in just a second, and at the end of that video, you're not gonna wanna clap and cheer, but we want our guests to feel welcome. So would you go ahead and clap and cheer for Paul Herkman before the video plays this morning? marginalized are exponentially more vulnerable. We've had this global health pandemic that's then turned into a financial crisis. And those two things then create space and instability for other people to prey on other people. And so there are things like military coups in some of the places where we serve that are moving entire communities off their land through genocide, putting bombs there so they can never go back. There's devastation around extreme droughts and extreme flooding that is moving people to places so that they can't work, that they don't have land, they don't know what they're going to do, they don't know where their next meal comes from. There are places of the world where, because of evil, unjust caste system, young women are told that they are worth nothing and that they deserve to be sold. And because of the economic strain and the crisis going on, parents having to choose between not feeding four kids or selling this kid. That shouldn't be an option. Poor country like Nepal, we're having so much problems. Parents are dying for food, you know. The military governments, they oppress to the people by fear. They think someone will stand up or someone will protest them. They put energy or they beat or they kill. If you stand up, we suffer like this. Everyone who are living in Myanmar, they are scared of the night. Uh, they are long to see the morning. Why? Because every night is a nightmare for them. They pottering and they arrest, they kidnap. If it's the girls, they rape. Now parents, they're not only selling the daughters, now they're selling their son also. 
boys also can sold out in a brothel. We tried very, very hard because we wanted to save them. Everything feels like that they are against us, you know. We've been living from childhood to dinner. We are fearing, 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 fearing. We don't know what to do. Even us, we don't know how long this will take. I want to ask everybody to help us that we can save before they go to brothel. When they sold out once, it's very hard to rescue them. So I pray every night, please God, give their love to their heart. They don't think they do bad things. They think it is right. The evil cannot win the good. So that's why we need to run to our God to change everything. So there's a, maybe a dissonance, um, a conflicted feeling. You rolled into service this morning. You're like, I don't know if I signed up for that. I, that's not really what I was expecting. Um, and if you're like me at all, you want to, as quick as possible, pivot from the pain and the reality of what we just saw. I mean, I just, I'll, my propensity is to tell a joke about Pastor Jonathan or celebrate Erica's book or talk about cute triplets or really have deep, meaningful conversation about what in the world the National Cattle Congress is in Waterloo because I have no clue of what I saw. Um, but, but if we stay in this moment for just a, just a minute, it can change us. It can inform us of the human capacity for empathy. And then in this room, our invitation to be sources of hope in difficult times that we saw on the screen, in difficult times in our own life, that we, with the great hymnist, can say it is well with my soul. Our partners... Our partners serve in some of the toughest areas on the planet, as Pastor Jonathan said. We serve at this intersection of three things. The unreached, less than 2% gospel witness. The unsafe, which is areas where we serve, where there is trafficking, where there is refugee crisis, where there is extreme poverty. And then also the under-resourced. The under-resourced is places where less than 1% of all Gospel giving is invested. Those are the difficult and dangerous places where we serve, those, those tough places where our partners rise up stronger than ever. In fact, the combination of these three things, the unsafe, the unreached, and the under-resourced, we partner with, our, with individual leaders in these areas that know the problems and understand solutions, and we pro provide things like safety and feeding programs education, counseling, and we share the gospel. And because of our partnership, every time this morning as I say we, I mean us, Crosspoint Venture, our international partners. Last year, this partnership helped to provide 9 million meals to refugees that were living in some of those places that you just saw. Provided over 500 girls with interception and rescue and counseling and the hope of the gospel. Last year alone, because with every one of our projects and programs, we partner church planting as a source of individual and communal transformation. Last year alone, our partners planted 1,200 brand new churches in places where the gospel's never been spoken before. So as we sit in a moment like this and we see this, know that the gospel invites us into that story. Is the voice at the very end, a female voice, her name is Rosebell, and she says, we must pursue God in the midst of this. And Ro Rosebell knows this. She grew up a refugee. Um, while she was still a young child, she was forced to move eight different times, forced off her land, and by moving, no moving trucks, simply throw all of her belongings into a cardboard box and run as fast as she can the last time all of her possessions were burnt up. By nine, she owned nothing, had no home, 
And uh, the last time that she was forcibly removed, she watched the military completely obliterate her refugee village. She hid in a hole overnight, her and a poisonous snake. And she prayed to God. She said, you closed the lion's mouth for Daniel, closed this snake's life. At 14, she was offered refuge in Norway to come out of the refugee camps. And at that night, she prayed and felt like God told her to stay with her people and serve her community. At 19, when she was married, she felt like God told her to start taking care of the orphans. And so within the first year of their marriage, they received two and then three and then four kids into their home. And now, Roosevelt, one of our key partners, provides meal, education, and safety for 2,500 kids every single day. She serves widows. She serves refugees. She said, I want to give them Jesus. I use wisdom. I help them with hygiene, rice, mana packs, medicine, all things that you help to fund. I gather them, fellowship with them, be with them, pray with them, hug them, share with them, run on sentence. Everywhere I go, I hug them even when the women smell, which is such a powerful picture to be an invitation to go closer to where pain and discomfort is. It's not a problem for me because they need love, they need peace, they need healing. When you share with a woman, they will tell you everything, how they suffer, what they go through, how they feel, why they need help, and how they became widows. Roosevelt is a hero. Her courage to rise up in the midst of what's going on, to be a part of the transformation of other people is so inspiring to me, or like Kima. Kima was a young girl that was trafficked by her uncle, and she was rescued by one of the Border Patrol stations that we partner with. And there she received safety and counseling and education. They even taught her a trade. She had this dream to start a business. Last year, she went back to her village, and she started her own sewing company. She now hires vulnerable girls, gives them a job, gives them a safe place. And in her spare time, she's planted not one, two, but three churches in one year. Pastor Jonathan has one under his belt. These partners compel me by their courage, by their understanding that the gospel not only transforms us, but then is powerful enough to transform our neighbors and invites us to be a part of that. We are invited, however light or heavy you came in this morning, however spiritual or less spiritual you feel, you are invited to be a part of this incredible invitation towards transformation, both in our own lives and in the lives of others. And these kinds of stories aren't only found in our international partners, and they're not just found in Waverly, but they're also found throughout the gospel. And there's a book in the gospel, a book that's often kind of glanced over. It's really short. It's the second shortest book. It's only one chapter, so a lot of times we just go pretty fast through it. It's in the Second Testament. But over the course of history, this book has been scrutinized and scandalized, even ripped out, canceled. This is a scandalous text. So I thought this morning, on the off chance that Pastor Jonathan and Erica do not invite me back again, I thought, well, let's just dig into a scandalous text. It's the book of Philemon written by Paul to the letter's namesake Philemon, and it's a book about three different main characters. And we're going to start in verse number four and read through verse 16. And it says this, that every time your name comes up in my prayers, I say, oh, thank you, God. I keep hearing of the love and faith that you have for Master Jesus, which brims over to other believers, and I keep praying that this faith would hold in common, keep showing up in the good things that we do, and that people recognize Christ in all of it. Friend, you have no idea how good your love makes me feel doubly so when I see your hospitality to fellow believers. In line with all of this, I have a favor to ask of you. As Christ's ambassador and now a prisoner for him, I wouldn't hesitate to command this if I thought that it was necessary, but I'd rather make a personal request. 
While here in jail, I fathered a child, so to speak, and here he is, hand-carrying this letter, Onesimus. He was useless to you before, and now he's useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, but I feel like it's cutting off my right arm in doing so because I want in the worst way to keep him here as your stand-in to help me while I'm in jail for the message. But I didn't want to do anything behind your back and make you do a good deed that you weren't willingly agreed to do. Maybe it's all the best that you lost him for a while because you're getting him back now for good and no mere slave this time, but a true Christian brother. That is what he was to me and he'll be even more of that to you. So Paul's writing a letter to Philemon. Paul used to be this radical that would kill Christians. And after his transformational encounter with the gospel, he's so passionate about the gospel, he's now in jail. He's incarcerated because of the transformation that's happened in his life. He writes a letter to Philemon. Philemon is a business person. By all accounts, a really good guy. He's opening his home. He's probably sharing meals. He probably is on parking duty. He's probably at, you know, encounter nights on Fridays. This is a good Christian guy. And then there's a third, Onesimus. Onesimus has some complicated relationship with Philemon. There is master and slave and... uh, he intersects with Paul and becomes a Christ follower as well. And so Paul's like, we used to have all of these different roles, but now we're brothers in Christ. And Philemon, I'm going to encourage you, because we're brothers in Christ, even though you have every legal right, even though it's not um, ethically under our law system, you can have him as a slave. I'm going to ask you to see him differently, and I'm going to ask you to free him. Now, slavery... um, Across history and in scripture, it's a complicated thing, right? So we maybe know slavery best through our nation's history, which was a system, a radical dehumanization of an entire race for the economic benefit of other people, right? The slavery that Paul is referring to, while complicated, is probably more like um, indentured servitude. So somebody would get into serious debt to another person. And that person, they could either get into a a willing agreement or be forced into a relationship where this person says, I'll be your slave or I'm forced to be your slave for a set amount of time until you pay everything off. So in this system, there was probably an on-ramp and off-ramp, which is different than what we know of in our history. But maybe as we talk about this, you can take a step and understand why this scripture, why this letter, why this book was scrutinized across history, why it created so many problems for certain groups of people. In the early 19th century, as missionaries would come from England to the Caribbean to convert enslaved Africans, um, the communities were very open to this good news, this good gospel that communicated that God was not mad at them, that there was place of meaning and freedom, and then they would encounter more of the kingdom like in Philemon, like in Exodus, and go, wait, this beautiful story, there are groups of people who were enslaved who are now liberated. What about us? So this became problematic for both missionaries and plantation owners, people that were benefiting from a system that that took a whole group of people and used them for their benefit. And so what they ended up doing was they decided to redo Scripture a little bit. So this Protestant Bible is 66 books, a Catholic Bible 73, Eastern Orthodox is 78. What they started doing was going, taking out parts of the Bible that were inconvenient. They just started literally ripping them out. And not only Philemon, but there was other things like Moses and liberating the entire Israelite people. Uh, By the time they got done taking out the parts that were uncomfortable, The slave Bible, of which there's only two left in the world, was only 14 books. The gospel doesn't invite us to be comfortable. The gospel invites us to something else that is transformational. And yet, even with all of this, the book of Philemon is not first and foremost about slavery. It's not about human trafficking, child soldiering, It's not about justice or social justice or biblical justice. It's not even about conflict resolution. Philemon, like 
every single one of the 66 books is put here to point us first and foremost to the transformational work of the gospel. Paul, as the author, is inviting us to see the gospel through this letter in a lens that we have to decide what we're going to do with. Will we read it and apply it or decide it's inconvenient? Paul often talks about transformation in two ways. There is the initial transformation that happens through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We refer to it as from unsaved to saved or from lost to found. And he speaks boldly about that as something that is a free gift to us that we can just receive through what Jesus did. But he also goes on to talk about transformation in a different way. If you know Enneagram, it's a way to look at personalities. I think Paul was like an Enneagram 8 plus. He's always like, come on, you can do more. And he's, he's writing these letters to these different communities going, we can continue to be transformed. He uses a phrase called morphuo, where we get our word metamorphosis. He's like, you can continue to be transformed. It's not just a one and done type thing, but there are parts of your life that don't exactly look like this beautiful kingdom yet. And we can encourage one another to do that. And I think as we are in the back nine of summer this year, uh, you, you know, we've all settled in and we feel good and, and we like to go to the lake or we like to get on our jet ski or we like to do relaxing things. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with relaxing. But Paul this morning in Philemon is going, what if we're not supposed to just relax as it relates to our spiritual journey? What if we're not supposed to settle in? And I'll just be honest, for me, when I read this, when I pray about it, when I meditate on it, when I speak it, I think, where in my life have I just settled in and what does it look like for me to keep transforming? And so I'm just going to share three ways that when I read this text, it challenges me to transform. I'm going to give you three points because that might help you remember, but the gospel is not plug and play. It is not just fill in these lines and everything goes well because we know far too many people that are in pain right in this room that are good people. And we knew far too many people that are borderline not great people that good things happen to. So it doesn't just work like just do these things and you're going to be good. What it is is when we read and we let scripture inform us, we can be transformed and be part of this beautiful kingdom that sometimes is incredibly difficult but all the time offers hope and in the First Testament, shalom, peace. And so the first thing that jumps out is that this ongoing transformation is foundationally happens within deep relationships. Okay, there's a verse in verse 6. I, I think it's foundation for the whole letter. I'm not, a, I'm not a theologian, and so I don't know if it's actually foundational. We can ask Bishop Erica about that. But, um, but it says this, in verse 6 it says, And I keep praying that this faith that we hold in common keeps showing up in the good things that we do. And that people recognize Christ in all of it. And if you see, there's the word we a couple of different times. He's cementing this idea that there is an importance in this connection. And I, I think about it, the word in Greek is koinonia, which means Christian assembly or Christian friendship. But I'm not saying that's the wrong translation. I'm just saying if you understand Paul's personality, for me, Christian assembly just kind of feels like we're all standing like this, like kids in a high school assembly or, or like clip art, just individual, you know, circles and lines all aligned together. And this is us gathered together. But Paul is saying, no, there's a bond. I'm not a scientist. I think it's ionic bond, whatever the energy between atoms or molecules or the small things are. You can see why... You know, you don't want to trust me in a laboratory. But these kinds of bonds, he's saying there's this bond between us and that bond is the gospel. And here's what the gospel is. This gospel is this thing that is, at the time he's writing it, he's in jail. He goes, it's so powerful that I'm in jail for it. We're seeing people, massive transformation happen. We're also seeing people dying because they're so passionate about this. This last year, our partners with Venture, four people died because they were so passionate about sharing the gospel that they continued to give food and share hope until they were literally killed for their commitment. And Paul is saying, this koinonia, this, 
This connection that we have, it's deep. In Philippians, he uses the word koinonia, and he says, I want to know the power of the resurrection and share in his suffering. Koinonia in his suffering. He's inviting, he's reminding, saying, hey, this isn't just about knowing each other's names or our kids' birthdays or going to, you know, baseball together, which are all very good things. But he's inviting something deeper. If you've served in the military or know somebody or watched a movie, there's a phrase called foxhole. And if you've been in the foxhole with somebody, it's the idea that you've been a part of something deep and traumatic where there was a lot at risk, but you believed in it. Our military does it to, um, to defend the right of justice, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And when they are there together, and even years and decades later, they're still connected because they, they understand that they had something that they'd be willing to give their life up for both the trauma and the goodness of what they're going for. And this Paul is saying to Philemon, man, this is what we're talking about. This good stuff that we do, we hope that everybody sees Christ because it's so worth it. And maybe, maybe you don't have the same energy level because maybe you're not on your fourth cup of coffee as I do this morning, but I want to remind you that the kingdom is inviting you that you can be so moved and inspired and transformed by this. And part of that happens in the context of relationship. Then he goes on. He sets them up. He's really nice. He's like, here's all the things that you should, you're a good person. You're generous. You're doing all these things. But now I want to have a conversation with you. It's like, have you ever had your spouse say, hey, when you get home, we have to have a talk? I hate that. Um, I mean, I never do anything wrong, so I don't have to worry. But, um, but you know, that, that type of a thing. Or maybe you're single and, and maybe you were dating somebody and you have to have a DTR, define the relationship, right? Or a boss. Whatever it is where, where that moment, that thing in your stomach, you're like, oh, this is going to be a heavy conversation. Paul is having that with Philemon going, you're a good dude. But have you considered that you could be more? Have you considered that the kingdom, this thing that we have all bought in, in verse 6, is inviting you to see and respond to Onesimus differently. I think it's why small groups are so important. I think small groups are important because we have to be in community, intentional community, where we're asking intentional questions. We're like, what did you think about the long-haired hippie in Philemon? You know, that's a good theological question. One of the things I loved about when Pastor Madison, who I I said it last time, I'll say it again, I, I said it over dinner. He said, there's not a finer youth pastor that I know, right? I don't lie. And she gets up here and she talks about this, you know, starting to kick off youth group. But she mentioned two things. First of all, a luau, which sounds awesome to me. You know, I'd like, I picture like a pig being roasted because I think that'd be awesome. And then I was like, oh, I'm in Iowa. That's Tuesday for y'all. Um, <laughs> but she also said, there are 30 leaders for small groups. Our youth are leading the way. Dads, men, don't use my line. My line is when my wife wants me to meet with somebody else, I'm like, I don't need another friend, right? We get closed in. There is a spiritual battle around just wanting to be us. Small groups, deep relationships, meaningful relationships are one of the most critical steps to your ongoing transformation. And lucky for you, y'all got small group sign up coming right now. So get out your phones. I I really do need everybody to do it because most of you are already in small groups. Most of you are all spiritual, but maybe the person next to you is a raving sinner and needs your goodness. Okay. So get out your phones. Just humor me. We got a QR code. If you have been trying to figure out how to take my picture this whole time, you can do that right here. I'll even do a little hug, you know, like because small groups are so fun. Okay. Would you consider being in a small group? I know you're spiritual enough, but the other people in your group need your spiritual maturity, okay? So the gospel invites us to deeper transformation through relationships. And then secondly, it it invites us to deeper transformation through new identity. And I love this part. This is what I love about Philemon the most because Philemon's telling this epic story of a slave becoming free. There might not be a better story across history. 
groups of people going from being enslaved in bondage and becoming free. And it happens because Paul asks Philemon to consider changing something that he's doing. You see, some of our new identities happen when somebody else sees or does something first. If we could be everything God created us to be just on our own, we'd already be there. You'd already stop sinning. You'd stop being angry. You'd stop being depressed. You'd stop. We need other people. It's part of the formula of what we see happening here. You see, Paul had to talk to Philemon and say, Philemon, would you consider this? You have every legal right. You can chill and stay exactly the way you are, or you could take a step, and that step will change Onesimus' life. Onesimus over here, he can't go from being slave to free without somebody else. The stories that we saw, the videos we saw, some of the things I'm sharing, they can't get to where they want to be without our help in the same way that Onesimus couldn't come. And guess what? Onesimus doesn't just become free. He actually becomes the bishop of Byzantine. And check this out. Almost every denomination and movement across history has sainted Onesimus. We don't know at what point in our journey when we adjust on behalf of other people and call things out, the long-term impact. Dad, you don't have to be angry, Dad. Mom, you don't have to be meandering, wondering what your purpose is besides smacking your kids around. Not smacking, gently prodding them towards the kingdom. <laughs> Young person, you don't have to be known as partier. Individual, you don't have to be so addicted to your screen. We need people that see something in us and says, this is what I see in you. I was watching The Chosen with my family. Don't judge me. I know we're late to the game. I'm pretty sure I know how it ends. Um, but in season two, Philip and Matthew are talking, and Matthew is cast as somebody on the spectrum, and he draws this circle and says to Philip, I feel like everybody's in the circle, and I'm out here. And Philip kind of goes, why are you always talking about what was? The rabbi has invited you. No longer was, only am, which is a little bit like Yoda. No longer was, only am. But if you think about the wisdom of what he is saying, he's saying, I see something in you that you don't yet see. The rabbi, that's Jesus if you haven't watched the film, the rabbi has called you and now this is who you are. We need to be in groups. We need to have deep relationships so we can call in other people what we might not see ourselves. But sometimes that costs. And that brings us to the last transformation in deep relationships to call out new identities. But it also, and this might be the toughest one, transformation happens through disadvantage. The gospel transforms us through disadvantage. Now, if you're like me and all of humanity, you like advantage, not disadvantage, right? I, so, Pastor Jonathan informed you that I was invited to speak at um, Packer Chapel, so the cat's out of the bag. I'm a Packer fan. Um, I grew up, I could see Lambeau Field from my parents' backyard. Um, and so what this means, I got people shaking their heads yes and no. You're a very divided house. Um, what this means is for the last couple of decades, every time the Packers play the Vikings, I want Chris Carter hurt. I want Adrian Peterson hurt. I want Delvin Cook hurt. You better believe I want Justin Jefferson. I am not interested in my team being full strength, their team being full strength and figuring out who's the best, whatever. I want to win. That's what I want. All you need is love, okay? <laughs> Maybe you're not football. Maybe driving to church this morning, the greater metropolis of Waverly, some of you had to get on a highway to get here, right? Maybe as you're on the highway, you're like, oh, I could take this lane and I could get there faster and I can beat Siri and, you know, shave off one minute and while you're not talking to your spouse because you were fighting on the way to church, never mind. Um, but you know what I mean? We want advantage in my house if we cut a cookie in half. Two, I, I got five kids, two of my kids, my seven and eight-year-old daughter will run to me and they will go for the bigger cookie. Here's what, Philemon, here's what Paul's saying to Philemon. What if you don't take the bigger piece of cookie this time? What if we figure out a way where we can give up a little bit more on behalf of somebody else? 
There's a word in the First Testament called shalom. It's peace. It's the interconnected thriving of all people. And that interconnected thriving, the invitation of the kingdom is for you to consider what you can give on behalf of other people. It's why we love the story of Roosevelt who gave up going to Norway and is now feeding 2,500 kids. It's why we love Kima who could have just kind of had her own business, but she is employing other vulnerable people and she's planting churches. We love this idea for other people, but what about us this morning as we read Philemon? Last week or last month, I got a picture in the a group of women heard about um, a community of widows that didn't have food. And so you know what they did? They stopped everything they were doing. They put 70 to 90 pounds of rice each on their back and walked up three hours to get people food. Talk about disadvantaging, interrupting your life. They are already not a very um, wealthy group of people, and they are finding space to give food and to physically walk it up. And your eyes got bigger as you saw the video. So there is something inside of us that goes, wow, this is, man, maybe the gospel compels this way. What your generosity has done through kingdom builders is empowering people like this to be a part of this kind of transformation like Shashila, watch this. I'm a border counselor. I'm a पढ़ना सकने मेरे हिस्टोरी बैठा मेरे कथा बैठा वाले लाइ मोटिवेशन करेडा नहीं मैं लेता त्योनर किए जीवन भोगे कुछ ते करूँ मैं मेरो एकार में पढ़ता खेरी मलाय विवाह को प्रस्ताव आयो र विवाह को प्रस्ताव आऊँ तो खेरी आर्थिक अवस्था एकदम ही कमजोर थी वो आम्रो अनि बाबा ले एवरेस्टानो खाजा पसल थी वो ते खाजा पसल बेचे र मेरो विवाह कर दिनो भायो र विवाह कर द खेरी मलाय पढ़ाऊँ सु घर में उन्हीं तिम्� मेरे आजमिन ले जाएं दिल्ली में काम करने थे और क्या काम करने थे मलाई तेरी बेला कहीं था थी ना पहले बीते दिल्ली पूरा इस आके पहुँचे वाले जाएं दिल्ली में कॉल गर्ल्स दिल्ली वाले व्हाट्सएप में जो तो पानी केटियरी को फोन टाइप व्हाट्सएप में रखने तेज में मेरे फोन तो पानी व्हाट्सएप में रखने और कुट पीट करने करंट लगाई दीने रब्बारम बार मलाई मूर्छा परुन समाने आने करनु भायो इत्रस कपड़ा मुख वितर को चार दे रा अने शरीर मानांगी बनाये रा मेरे पेट में थी बहुत से रपनी मलाई बारम बार पीटनु भायो तो तो दिन आज रपनी मलाई याद आऊँ चा जून दिन थियो अनि मैले देरे भागने कोशिश करे तर कते बटा मैंने भागना भागना सो के ना रूम वितर पूरे बंद रहतियो अनि एक जाना अच्छी में किधी दी मैले चार दिन सम्मता मैले टॉयलेट को पानी है रा उस बाजे को बाजे मेरे बाबी से क्यों लाया बनी मैं सोते ना दिन रात अच्छी में किधी दी तो दीदी लाई बाबा लाई फोन करनु तेज पसी त्याग बटा मलाई सोचता है ले रबा प्रारिले अनि मेरे परिवार ले मलाई नेपाल ले राउनु भाई और नेपाल ले ही सके पसी अली दिन दीदी अरुले काम सेलिंग करनु भाई अनि तीमी आम सास होनु पड़ता अतीम ने सास अपुर दिन आमी सम करनु भाई जो सोचता ना भाई रे को भाई सायद माँ मेरे जीवन माँ बांस नहीं पनी थी ना वाल ओड़िया इमा मैंने जाओ पढ़ चुका बिगत नौ महीना देखी मैं बुढ़ा साहस करता को रुक मैं नेपाल वारसी में नाकामा रही रह और जो कि मैं परिकाती बॉय नहीं हो रही उत्तर कर चुका साथ ही मैं बांचुन जेल सम्मा माना बेज बिखन मुक्त समाज को लागे निरंतर रुक मैं लागने चुका
So Sheila is a bad woman in the best way. At one point in that video, she said she didn't have the strength to get to where she needed to be. There is something about how the kingdom works in tandem with us. And your generosity is part of stories like that. But I love that she didn't just take her own transformation and stop. Nobody would have been mad if she just said she's going to work on her own healing. And yet she says, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to rescue other girls. And she takes down a trafficking ring, which is, you know, next level. This is what we are a part of. And it's not just what we're a part of when we give our money. It's part of the power of the gospel that transforms. So when we read Philemon and when it invites us to consider that maybe the gospel is calling out more out of us, maybe there's something besides our own comfort or wealth or even safety, maybe there's something more. It's because of the transformational work that this has not only in our own lives but around the world. Last year when I was, or uh, in November I was here, I mentioned a story about a young woman named Hannah. And Hannah was somebody that found safety in one of our safe houses and graduated. She began a relationship with Jesus. We brought her to the U.S. to share some of her story, and it was anointed and powerful. They wrote two books about her. She was offered citizenship. Um, a family offered for her to come and live in their million-dollar estate just off the ocean, much like where I live in North Minneapolis. Uh, but she, while there, there was a pandemic that hit, and she felt like she was supposed to give that all up and go back to Nepal to help her vulnerable sisters. Goes back, leaves the mansion, and literally rents an apartment with 400 square feet and lets 10 other women live with her. She starts her own movement, her own organization called Her, focusing on gender-based violence, feminine hygiene, and church planting and rescue. That's just a few things that she does. Last year alone, we tallied that she trained over 45,000 young girls and women in feminine hygiene. She, um, she saw a group of 27 girls that were vulnerable after they graduated from one of our programs, and she's like, we've got to do something for them. So she created an entire education endowment. Now 27 of these girls, we just did a ribbon cutting for a brand new facility where these 27 girls will not only have a place to live, but they can pick any college, and any vocational training because Hannah saw it and said, I'm gonna give my life for this. I'm willingly disadvantaging. Oh, and by the way, in the last year, she's flown to India and has personally rescued 10 girls. Personally, like gone into brothels and fought with the pimps and rescued girls. That's what we're a part of. That's not just what we're a part of with kingdom builders. That's what we're a part of with the gospel. This is the kind of transformation, and some of you barely limped in. You are hurting, you are sad, and what I will say is there will be a season to grieve and lament, and the gospel will be there in the form of this community to carry you into what the next season is at the right time. As Pastor Jonathan comes up, on behalf of Kima and Roosevelt, and Sushila, and Hannah. And on behalf of the people that will future be affected by your, not only your generosity, but your willingness to respond to this book, I wanna say thank you. You know, one of the things that we have to do after you bump into scripture like Philemon, let me get it the right way, is we have to decide what we're gonna do with it as it relates to our small groups, as it relates to identity and even disadvantage. Because if we just go, well, that was a good message, but it's not really for me, or I never really liked the guy with the long hair. I prefer the bald one. Um, no, shaved, shaved, my bad. Um, if we're just, aren't we, if we just kind of brush past Philemon, aren't we like the missionaries and plantation owners? I don't really need Philemon. I don't need to be invited into deeper relationships and speaking new identity or, or disadvantaging myself. Don't worry, I printed that out. I wouldn't rip the Bible. <laughs> but the, the invitation is to listen to what's going on right here. The kingdom invites us to everything that your heart and soul need in this moment. And when you do that, lives will be changed for his kingdom come and his will be done.
powerful. You know, last night we had the opportunity to have dinner with Paul and he said, I'm prayed up and I'll continue to be prayed up tonight for this morning. And Paul, that's, it's just evident. And you invited us at the beginning of the message to lean in and feel this moment. And throughout the entire message today, we felt it. I'm so grateful for your willingness to share a scandalous text in your words. That the word of God would be what you would base your message off of to share with us today, which is what informs our lives. It informs our decisions and everything that we do. And so we've been presented with a challenge this morning. Will we allow the word of God to inform our lives and change us or will we ignore it? And here's what I know this morning is this room is filled with people who aren't gonna ignore the word of God. And so we felt something, we've been informed of something and now we get to respond. Some of you have heard throughout the service about Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders is our funding strategy for global missions, local church expansion, and future Christian leaders. Our goal this year is to raise $360,000 for the glory of God, and already this year, we're over $200,000. And if you scan the QR code in the seat in front of you, it'll show you some of the projects that we're hoping to fund this year, and one of those is Venture. And our goal this year is $20,000. And as Paul has presented this morning, man, my heart hopes that we can give even more. My heart hopes that, that a spirit of generosity would be unleashed this morning as we've been presented with the need and that God would do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever dream, ask, or imagine. And so I'm gonna ask in this moment that you would respond. You can pull out your phone. There are multiple ways that you can give. You can go to crosspointwaverly.com. You can scan the QR code in the seat pocket in front of you. You can write a check. You can make it out to Crosspoint Church and we'll make sure that it gets to Venture. You can text the amount to the number on the screen. And I love how he shared this morning and the stories that he shared. He said, those of us who have been part of Kingdom Builders, that these are our stories to the glory of God. So I wanna pray. And as I do, prepare your hearts as to what God would have you give and how he, he would have you respond this morning. Lord, we thank you for global partners like Venture. We thank you for Paul, for his willingness to respond to the call that you have placed on his life. God, to empower and equip global partners around the world in the most dangerous places, the most unreached places, the most underserved places. God, that he would come to Waverly, Iowa this weekend and call something out greater in us. So Lord, I pray in this holy moment, that you would give us the courage to respond and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's one more time express our appreciation to Paul. One of the things that Venture does is enables people to leverage what they do, running, biking, miles for, uh, for Venture. And I see Kelly Sampson up in the balcony, she's leading the online, hosting the online service today. And last November, when Paul was here, he spoke and gave a challenge. And our goal last year was $10,000 to venture. And we did that as a church. But Kelly felt so compelled that to not just respond in the offering, but to do something about it. And so she launched the team on venture.org's website called Team 47. And they raised over $11,000, doubled what our church did last year for it. Kelly, thanks for your obedience to the Lord and leading in that and the number of you who were a part of that. If you wanna read more about that, you can go to venture.org or talk to, to me or any of our staff or Kelly at the end of service.
We never wanna miss an opportunity to give people the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Now I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there's some of you who've come in today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you say, today I wanna become one. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, I want you to slip up your hands all across this room. One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you, God. Let's all stand. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raised your hand in person today or online, I'm gonna ask that you would repeat this prayer after me. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you are also gonna be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect and help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer, we would ask that you would text the word yes to 319 2508998. We want to encourage you in the decision that you've made and the journey that God wants to take you on. I'm going to invite the prayer team to make their way up to the front. I'm going to pray over as the worship team is going to lead us in another song. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you just need a touch from God. You just need somebody to partner with you in prayer. I'm going to pray the worship team is going to lead us in that song. And as they do, I'd encourage you to make your way to either side of the stage this morning and let somebody pray for you. God, we thank you for your word, for the specific words spoken to us today and how your presence has marked this moment. God, may these words settle deep into our spirits, spirit and challenge us and change us and transform us. As small groups launch back up in a few weeks, God, would you give everybody the courage to be part of intentional community, surrounded around intentional conversations. God, that in it, we iron could sharpen iron. Lord, I pray this morning for those that need a touch from you, that as they come forward for prayer today, that you would meet each and every need in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.